So building transmission lines between a remote area of the Colorado River and delivering that to Denver is hard. What if we brought the monetization mechanism to the dam rather than bringing the dam's output to the people? That's what Bitcoin is doing. We're able to bring a second customer to some of these otherwise economically challenged energy assets, and we make them really profitable. You're listening to On Purpose with Tyrone Ross, brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. This show is for advisors, by advisors, on all things crypto, and we appreciate you. And now, here's Tyrone. Welcome back to the latest edition of the On Purpose Podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Ross. I know you guys have been tired of listening to me solo, so I brought a special guest on this one, good friend of mine. We will get into a lot of different things here, but first we must all thank him for securing the Bitcoin blockchain. My good friend, Harry Sudak is here. How are you, sir? I am well, Tyrone. Great to see you. Great to hear you. Yeah, man. Great to see you. Great to hear your voice. Thank you so much for being an advocate of everything that I do, but more importantly, when I tag you into conversations on Twitter, how you dive in and make me look good. So (laughs) 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 I, I appreciate you for that, man. So let's get right in. And again, as you know, this is for advisors by advisors. So we're talking to folks who have a basic level of understanding. Mining is one of the things that is funny. When we were planning the Bitcoin FA conference with Coindesk, it came up. It was like, well, should we have a panel on mining? And I'm like, no, not yet. <laughs> like, let that be version two. Not right now. But I think this is a really good way for us to kind of keep it basic and get advisors to understand what mining is, why it's so important. And I give you the floor on that one. You know, take us to school. It's obviously an area where I'm tremendously passionate. You know, I I took a background in in sort of more financial services on the technology side earlier in my career, you know, in parallel with discovering Bitcoin and getting excited about Bitcoin and and choosing to put more time and and resources towards it. Sort of the, the process for me to quote, quote unquote, find my place in the industry full time became mining really clearly. And, and you know, for me, it, it was because it's a pathway towards, you know, business fundamentals and cash flows. But I think from an ecosystem perspective, it's really worth, you know, walking through kind of step by step. What is it and why does it matter? And why is it an integral part to the way that this decentralized asset functions and the value proposition that it represents? Mining is a key piece to delivering on that value prop. So, at a very, very high level, what, what mining is, it is the way that the Bitcoin blockchain processes transactions and processes transactions with the degree of certainty that is key to the value proposition of Bitcoin. So when I send a Bitcoin you know, to a counterpart, I know that that transaction functions the way that I expect. It's final. You can't reverse it. You can't do a chargeback. You know, all of those other things that create wrinkles within other payment rails, mining is the way that Bitcoin doesn't fall victim to some of those other foibles. The way that mining works is that there are server farms all over the world providing a tremendous amount of computing power to the Bitcoin network to ensure that security of the transactions and the predictability of the behavior of the network. Awesome. So again, still staying rudimentary and basic here. So the next thing is, well, why does it require so much energy? Why is it so energy intensive? Let's go there. What say you? 
The value proposition of Bitcoin is that there is a, a game theory being played amongst all the participants in the asset. On the one hand, you get something called provable digital scarcity. So Bitcoin's big innovation is that there's a certain number of them and they're going to be emitted on a predictable fixed schedule. When Satoshi first dropped the white paper and then launched the network, each of those first blocks included 50 brand new Bitcoins in every block. Then fast forward four years, the first halving. That 50 got cut to 25 right on schedule. Fast forward another four years, 25 got cut to 12 and a half right on schedule in the block that was expected. So what that represents and what that means is that the monetary policy that's native to the network was being enacted the way we expected. And that's a critically, critically important point, which is that Bitcoin's big innovation is a provable digital scarcity, but it's provable through the behavior that we expect happening. And so to return to the energy point, over time, the hash power of the network, the security budget of the network has grown. And so the reason that we need so much darn energy to be contributed to this computing power is because for a base layer settlement function, you need extremely high degrees of certainty into the security of that layer, the fidelity of those transactions, and that security budget comes in the form of the energy spend that's contributed to the computing. The beautiful thing is every advisor listening, all they understood what you said just now was fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> but let's back up for a minute because I know we throw a lot around a lot of language because we know we're fluent in this. And one of the things that I always try and retweet and get advisors to understand just some different metrics to understand how Bitcoin is progressing. And one of those is hash rate. And you mentioned hash power. So just kind of break those down a little bit. So when I retweet that, that you know, hash rate is at an all time high. <laughs> What that means, so folks start to understand that's a good thing and a metric that advisors should start to pay attention to. Absolutely. So, so what hash rate is, is the aggregated amount of computing power that's being contributed to the security of the network. And when I say security, I mean the ability for an individual to have a, an exceedingly high degree of confidence that the network is going to behave the way that it purports and the way that you expect. The two key features to network behavior you know, that I try to talk about are number one, this is a fixed, provably scarce digital asset. There's only gonna be 21 million and that's provable because the monetary policy functions the way we expect. Number two, it is a bearer instrument for better or for worse. When I send a transaction, there's no going back. The settlement is final, it's final settlement. And so those are the two features that the network hash rate, all these computers contributing via energy, you know, their calculations to the security budget, that security budget is designed to protect those two key features, which are intrinsic to Bitcoin's value proposition. That was good. You broke that down just like I knew you would. I love it. So, all right, China, China comes up. We've seen it. Let's talk about that, right? A lot of, you know, the miners are there. And again, there's different places, but that comes up when people want to FUD. A lot of it is concentrated in China. It's going to be an attack on the world. Explain that a lot of what's going on with China from one, the standpoint of a lot of it is based there and also the environmental part of it, which would lead us into some more of the conversation about some of the energy used in China to mine. 
I'm not Pollyanna-ish about the risk vectors in our world. This is a big, scary place that we live these days, and there are significant risks within the sphere of, of Bitcoin and within other spheres as well. And, and you know, China sits behind a lot of that risk, you know, that risk exposure. When I think about sort of the risk that, you know, quote unquote, China represents to the Bitcoin network, it's really not about the concentration of, of hash there or the concentration of the Bitcoin security budget that's there. A, we've seen that number fall. I've looked at estimates that think that the amount of hash that's within sort of mainland China is somewhere between, you know, 40 and 60%. And that number is falling. And, you know, most importantly, that the miners that are operating within China are actively diversifying outside of mainland China, whether that's, you know, Russia, Kazakhstan, areas of South America, areas of the US, you know, Bitmain's operating, you know, mining setups within the US. There's a push, A, for the miners globally to decentralize more broadly, but B, the miners that are currently operating in China want to be in other jurisdictions because, you know, single jurisdiction exposure is never a great idea. I was actually in the clubhouse room. I think it was two days ago when you were in there mining. It was a bunch of stuff going on. I probably understood 10% of the conversation, but I was in there. I showed my face. I represent it for the FAs. Let's talk a little bit about briefly. And again, you are front and center of this of mining increasing here in the States. I'm getting a lot of pitch decks from friends <laughs> of, oh, we're setting up this mining farm and do you want to invest early or whatever? Some of it seems scammy, but that's what I'm here to vet some of that stuff. From a, a very credible high level involvement, that's where you are. So talk a little bit about that mining growing in the US and, and some of the recent news that has come out. Yeah. So when you think about evaluating a jurisdiction to set up a mining operation, you know, we, and I say we as, as grid infrastructure, which is, you know, which is the firm that I work for, we think about two very, very key variables. The first is energy abundance. And the second uh, is jurisdictional certainty. From first principles, we believe we're building a 50-year company. And in order to do that, I need to have a line of sight on some things that I know won't change over the next 50 years. That means, is the rule of law enforced in a productive and business-friendly way? Do I have a, you know, certainty that clarity around tax treatment? Is there clarity around the way that the energy is treated? Is there clarity around you know, the tariff regimes, et cetera? You know, we believe that the US and Canada represents a really, really differentiated environment along all of those attributes. The second, we need energy abundance. We're really blessed to be in the US, which has a true abundance of natural resources that enables energy abundance, you know, which is one of, you know, I, I think about energy abundance really as one of those key biomarkers for a society's health. When energy per capita is generated at a higher level, infant mortality goes down, nutrition goes up, education goes up, healthcare goes up. Speaking my language. It's, it's, it's a key biomarker for societal success. And so we care deeply about that. And we want to see the Bitcoin mining industry as a tailwind for that kind of energy density, because it means good outcomes for society. Right. And that is such a fantastic lead in. And again, it's funny, you will not be on CNBC to talk about that. That is not going to be the main thing discussed at consensus, but it should be environmental, social governance. Like, let's get into that. Right. And, and Bitcoin is all of those things. And we, we had a little bit of back and forth on Twitter about this. And at the behest of a lot of financial advisors in a large family office, actually, and, and he didn't, he, you know, this gentleman had recently started following me on Twitter. He's like, you should push 
the social angle of Bitcoin, I'm like, you clearly haven't been following me long enough. But let's talk about that for a little bit, because for me, I think I always talk about the one inarguable use case that Bitcoin has exactly right around the realm what you, you were saying, but a different angle of what it does mean for society. And again, we can get into all the things that are out there, right? Opting out and all those things. But when you talk about true social good and people being able to bank themselves, right? And, and opt out, great. What it means for the unbanked all over the world, fantastic. But also that environmental part where people get stuck on that, they never really discuss what you just said. And again, we could talk about governance and Bitcoin all day to really want to talk about governance, right? But let's get into that angle why you feel personally in the realm of what you just said, where Bitcoin should be a part of the ESG conversation, especially from a miner where the whole thing is, well, the environmental part of it. So let's dig into that a little bit and your thoughts there. I want to frame what I'm about to say with two key caveats. Number one is that energy consumption is not bad. It is not a fundamental bad thing. Energy consumption is how we arrive at good outcomes for people. You know, that's the first part of the argument that I really struggle with when other folks are saying, well, you know, Bitcoin uses all this energy. Using energy is not a bad thing. Burning coal irresponsibly all over the place is a bad thing. We really need to to separate this idea that consuming energy is the same as just burning net new coal. What that means in practice is that different energy generation sources have different value propositions and have different trade-offs. So, you know, there's a reason that we burn coal for a long time is because we knew how to, it's, it's how we knew how to get, you know, manufacturing jobs into Western Pennsylvania. It's how we knew how to bring industry to places and to create better outcomes for future generations. Now we know better. We got better at stuff. We invented new things, new chemical processes, nuclear came out. Wind and hydro and solar became, you know, the backbone of many of these of these other regions. And so like we've done many times in the past, we as a society have upgraded the technology stack that delivers a good outcome. We're in the process of that happening all over again. The example that I use to kind of show how far we've come is that before John Rockefeller dug in the woods of Ohio and, and Western Pennsylvania for oil to you know, refine into kerosene. Do you know how we did that previously? We put 60 people on a wooden boat and we sailed into the middle of the Atlantic and we hunted for whales to cut open their heads to use the oil from whales' heads. That was the plan before we dug in the backyard. You know how many people died on those boats? You know how many families were left fatherless or brotherless because we had a bad way of delivering a good outcome? Then we got a better way. And it was digging in the backyard for hydrocarbons. Those hydrocarbons came with different trade-offs. And some of them created incredibly powerfully positive outcomes for people and came with environmental negatives. And now we're upgrading again. And one of the key unlocks for the next upgrade is what Bitcoin represents to renewable generation assets. So what do I mean by that very specifically? It's easy to generate energy with a hydro source. It's difficult to transport the energy to people. So building transmission lines between a remote area of the Colorado River and delivering that to Denver is hard. What if we brought the monetization mechanism to the dam rather than bringing the dam's output to the people? That's what Bitcoin is doing. We're able to bring a second customer 
to some of these otherwise economically challenged energy assets, and we make them really profitable because we're able to reduce the burden of that infrastructure build out early on in the project's life cycle. So they're able to justify investing in infrastructure, investing in communities, investing in energy density, which we've already talked about, we know produces good outcomes for people. And so we have this new economic tool that's market driven. This is not a government handout. This is a tool of the market that we're able to bring into these previously difficult infrastructure projects. And because we've got a new technology, a new tool, we're able to bring new and better things to bear, which results in not having to send people out on boats to hunt for whales in the ocean. We've got a better thing. We've got a better tool. And again, I could go right on top of that for the next two hours about the other side of it, how I feel. And people can opt out again of that financial redlining that has happened and, you know, for years and the possibility of what this means for people to redefine money, right? And redefine possibility, but I won't go there, but I will finish by saying this, which I thought was really cool. Shout to Zero Hedge. They posted something, uh, it was yesterday where it was saying that if you added up um, all of the private jets that have flown around, right, that it was 20% more CO2 put into, you know, the world than Bitcoin mining. So they were like, should we ban private jets too? There's just so many parts to this where I think people will always look for things to ridicule what they don't understand or what they don't, you know, which doesn't have a place. And Bitcoin is an easy target. What I always tell people is what I start to do is when you see people, whether who are yay or nay, when you start to look at there's this space in the middle where everyone is missing the social good because everyone wants to argue their side. But there's this big space in the middle where we can be a salve to people all over the world and especially in this country through Bitcoin. And I don't care how you feel about it. That is the truth. And we need people to start to understand that truth. Let's end here. And I think this is, this is a really good way, again, as we start to look at you know, markets overall. And that's the, this, the other thing is like you are, you, know, you do follow capital markets and you do look at things outside of Bitcoin. And, and it's funny, when we first met, I think we, we stood up for hours. I forget which conference it was, but you know, we talked markets for hours. But from a standpoint, again, we're talking to financial advisors and financial advisors are looking now and saying, okay, well, the digital gold narrative in the last episode I did solo was after being in the clubhouse again, but the digital gold narrative is one, how financial advisors are starting to understand, have it make some sense, right? Okay. This is kind of like gold. And then the other way is it's easy to tell a client, oh, this is similar to gold in your portfolio, as opposed to saying, well, it's internet money. Cause then it's like, well, let's find the internet money in your portfolio, right? The client's like, ah, right. So it makes it very easy to create a narrative around that. But from your perspective, again, as someone that understands capital markets and also have a very unique, if not the most specific and important part of the Bitcoin ecosystem, as far as the digital gold narrative for financial advisors, do you think that's sound? Do you think that makes some sense? Or do you feel like there's another way that would probably be better for advisors to position this, not only you know, for themselves, but for clients? I love the digital gold narrative. I think that it's really powerful. It's really digestible. It makes a lot of sense, but I don't think it goes far enough in describing why Bitcoin is so exciting and why a technology-enabled digital gold is actually a tremendously exciting asset. So the way that I try to frame it is I say, yes, this is going to be 
you know, one of the key global reserve assets in the coming decades. Agreed. From an advisor's perspective, I think that store of value use cases have been criminally underserved by the products available to us thus far. So I think this is digital gold. But I think that over the last 50 years, gold has not met the needs of individuals looking for a store of value. And so Bitcoin is, to me, a technology-enabled store of value. So the feature set of Bitcoin actually captures a closer approximation of the true gold addressable market because there's actually more people looking for a store of value than gold can meet their needs. And so there's this addressable market tailwind that I can attribute to sort of the tech enablement and feature enablement that Bitcoin brings to the table that gold just can't. How do you plan to assay your gold? How do you plan to, to prove that it, that it isn't, you know, spray painted pewter? I can't. Bitcoin, by nature of what it is, by nature of its, of its inherent feature set, solves a lot of the problems that gold presented to, to consumers or to users. And so the total addressable market for a store of value is actually much bigger than we've appreciated previously. And what Bitcoin does that's so beautiful and exciting is that it unlocks that addressable market and serves that marketplace better than the tools we've been able to use previously. Man, you are the best. And that's why I wanted to have you on, man. But for, again, I got to give advisors resources and education. So if an advisor wants to reach out to you, follow you on Twitter, whatever, give us everything so where folks can follow you and get more information because you've been such a valued resource to me. Um, And I think you could be to some of my colleagues as well. My DMs are open. I love talking to folks who are getting into this. I think that exposure to this market and this asset is an incredibly powerful social good. And you know, the, more, the more I can get it into folks' hands in a clearly understandable way, that's time well spent. Absolutely. And I will end on this note because I know you will agree with me here and you are of like mind and spirit when I say that we care about children and we care about empowering people. So if you made it this far in the podcast, I think Harry and I would both appreciate if you went to No Kid Hungry and tried to feed a hungry child. The majority of people living in this country in poverty are children. And him and I have had conversations about ways to fix that. So, sir, I appreciate you for coming on. I'm incredibly grateful for your time, spirit and energy. And everybody else out there, when you live life, make sure you live it on purpose. Thanks, Tyrone. We appreciate you.